Maybe that's what the people in this poem are kind of trying to do. They're trying to like burn through as many temporary things as possible to prove, uh, to prove that nothing can touch them. Hi, this is Neha, and you're listening to Who Reads Poetry? Our guest today is Eve Asher. She reads for us a poem by Wallace Stevens. The poem is titled, The Emperor of Ice Cream. Eve is a bundle of hot takes, hates summer in New York, and reads so many books, which make me feel like I don't read at all. You gotta hang out with her. You can find Eve on Twitter at Asher Eve. This episode is a real throwback to summer. We together crave ice cream, rate New York during summers. Our conversation takes us around the tyranny and beauty of difficult poems. Death, capital D death, my least favorite D word. We also talk about our poet who sold insurance in the mornings and got into fights with other famous writers in the night. Here we go. So welcome Eve, uh, thank you for joining me on a beautiful Saturday afternoon to talk poetry. Something I hope I do more often on beautiful Saturday afternoons. Um, so how's your date being so far? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you generously shared half a bagel with me and now, <laughs> now we will share a poem. I'm very excited. Um, I got to walk around Bedstyre today and for the very first time I picked up groceries from the neighborhood CSA and I'm so excited by cooking them. It com actually comes with a recipe book. It's pretty exciting. Um, and isn't summer grand just to, like walk around in sun and, you know, various just people in New York in their best summer outfits. It's just beautiful. You know, my, my problem with New York in the summer is, first of all, that it's terrible. And second, uh, <laughs> those are some radical opinions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not holding back. This is, uh, I'm going to keep it very real. Uh, my problem with New York in the summer is that there is not enough ice cream. Uh, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, and you cannot swing a cat without hitting a really nice local ice cream shop. And we're missing that. We've got, there's a couple in like fancy Brooklyn, but in non-fancy Brooklyn, yeah, you're, you're hosed. Yeah, I feel like not having ice cream around in summer is, is definitely a, a, a New York's fault at this point in time. <laughs> they have trucks, but like, I'm but talking hard ice cream. I'm talking like real, real stuff. Real stuff? Yeah. You know, there's, um, what's real ice cream to you? Uh, it's got, it can't be soft serve, uh, can't be like packaged or like, uh, you know, supermarket bought in a pint. It's gotta be, <laughs> it's gotta be scooped and it's gotta be a small business, uh, preferably staffed by local teens, uh, who would rather be doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are your thoughts on Yogos? Y yogos? Yes. Uh, I don't know what that is. Yogurt ice cream? Oh, you like know? frozen yogurt? Yes. Uh, it, oh, it's bullshit. I hate it. Okay. Cool. I have a very strong cool. anti-yogurt stance. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I don't know where I stand on yogurt. I know it's good for you, but whatever. Um, so what are we reading today? Well, in honor of summer, uh... We're going to be reading The Emperor of Ice Cream by Wallace Stevens. Oh, why am I not surprised? 
tell me more. Um, how did you meet this poem? What were you doing when you first read it? And what was happening in your life around that time? Well, it's sort of a boring answer. Uh, I first met this poem in a high school English class. Uh, it was, we had a special guest teacher who was this kind of crotchety old man uh, <laughs> who came and, and taught a lesson uh, about Wallace Stevens. And uh, he, he's the kind of teacher who doesn't say very much, just kind of puts things out there and then kind of glares at everybody and no one knows what's going on. Uh, and he he had us read a couple of Wallace Stevens poems and they're, like, they're so strange and kind of angular and hard to pull apart that the whole day kind of felt like, felt so frustrating. It was like, I can't figure out what this man wants from me and I can't figure out what this poem wants from me. Uh, and I don't know what's going on. What did you want? <laughs> Um, I think I wanted to, uh, make teachers like me. That was my main goal in, uh, in high school. And, uh, I, I developed sort of, I developed sort of a grudging respect for Wallace Stevens, uh, where I felt like any, any poem that can like make my brain hurt this much must have something going on in it. And then I... Is this the poetic Stockholm syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> it's, pro it's probably it's like hard. a. It's hard. It must be beautiful. <laughs> it's probably like um, an emperor of ice cream has no clothes situation <laughs> okay. where, like, oh, it's so difficult. I must just not get it. Uh, but then uh, in college, I re encountered this poem and uh, other works by Wall Stevens and had to really sit there and pull them apart and. Uh, and started to appreciate, uh, started to like get more out of them once uh, once I was forced to sit down and go over word by word what is actually going on in these poems. And uh, I think he's a he's a fascinating dude. And and uh, this poem in particular, uh, I do you want to hear a really uh, really sad story about about this poem in my life uh i would love to <laughs> if you want to share it with us all right let's take this mood way down okay um so my relationship with poetry in general uh started with my grandmother when i was a little kid my grandmother would mm -hmm. read poetry to me uh and we had a lot of uh poems that were sort of special for the for the two of us she was a huge poetry fan um one of the ones that she introduced me to was a different Wall Stevens poem called 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird mm -hmm. that's a lot more accessible, I think, but also still pretty strange. Uh, and a few years ago, my grandmother died. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the last times that I saw her, I uh, came to visit her um, in her apartment, and she was, like, sort of half there. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, and... Uh, her her helper, her, like a uh, nurse, uh, brought her some ice cream. I was sitting by her bed, and I said, "The only emperor is the emperor of ice cream." <laughs> wow. Well, I am I'm honored that you chose to share that with us, and uh, I'm very excited about you reading this poem that is so meaningful to you and has 
brought you a certain sense of intimacy uh, with your grandmom. Um, so, do you wanna do you wanna read it for us today? Sure. Um, I just wanna preface this with. I didn't do any research. I don't know how to pronounce some of these words. Conspicuous. So. <laughs> concupiscent, maybe? Oh my god. I'm, I'm gonna do my best. Alexa, define concupiscent? <laughs> Sorry, there is no Alexa here. We have to do this work ourselves. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Emperor of Ice Cream by Wallace Stevens. Call the roller of big cigars, the muscular one, and bid him whip in kitchen cups concupiscent curds. Let the wenches dawdle in such dress as they are used to wear, and let the boys bring flowers in last month's newspapers. Let B be finale of seam. The only emperor is the emperor of ice cream. Take from the dresser of deal, lacking the three glass knobs that sheet on which she embroidered fantails once, and spread it so as to cover her face. If her horny feet protrude, they come to show how cold she is and dumb. Let the lamp affix its beam. The only emperor is the emperor of ice cream. Now, that was interesting. Um, let me be honest with you. When you shared this poem with me, I, I read it, okay? And I read it again, and I probably got two lines out of it, which uh, meant something to me. And uh, if I could just, I could just read them for you. Uh, one of them was, let the boys bring flowers in last month's newspapers. I liked it because it was so visual and like I could totally imagine it, you know, happening. And it seemed interesting um, for words to have that immediate impact. And then I was very intrigued by, let the lamp affix its beam. I can think of some things it may mean, but tell me, tell me what you think of the poem and what's the meaning that you derive from it? Well, so um, I feel like this, this poem is overall about kind of denial of death. It's um, the setting is this, this funeral of an old woman and, and the town kind of at least, uh, the way I imagine it, the town kind of coming together to celebrate in a way that erases the fact that this is this is a tragedy or that this is any kind of sad occasion. Uh, they're just kind of completely papering over the fact that this woman died. Uh, death is coming for us all. This is all temporary. Um, one uh, thing I got from scrolling a little bit down on the page on uh, Poetry <laughs> Foundation was uh, ice cream representing something uh, temporary and luxurious, but uh, something that's that's sweet while you have it and like indulgent, but will soon be gone. Uh, and I think there's a lot of that kind of that kind of imagery around um, I guess denial that things are gonna end uh, that that like youth, is not forever. Um, flowers will will wilt. Uh, we will die. The things in our lives <laughs> wow. that we think are are valuable uh, will just start to look sad after a while. Yeah. Um, even like the the roller of cigars. Um, 
cigars are this like really powerful masculine kind of symbol of wealth and uh and like ice cream you use them and they're gone uh they're like and that's part of the power of them that like oh this is this incredibly valuable thing um i can just light it on fire because i have so much money and power yes um that i can just burn it uh and maybe that's what the people in this poem are kind of trying to do they're trying to like burn through as many temporary things as possible to prove uh to prove that nothing can touch them it's almost the idea that if you if you stitch enough temporary things together you can make something permanent right um Something stood out to me um, when I was reading this was um, the tone. The tone is very, um, very authoritative. Where do you think that comes from? Well, Wall Stevens is an old white man. (laughs) Oh my God, spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think uh, it's got the feeling... It's got the the feeling of, in some ways, of, of like... Of like a town proclamation, of like uh, of like almost almost like a law or something yeah. that uh, the speaker of this poem is saying like, and this shall be how it is. Yeah. Uh, and everybody does what I say. Yeah. In almost it like almost a sort of like biblical, yeah. perhaps like voice of God, uh, sort of sort of sort of way. It almost feels like. Um someone in event of very unpredictable circumstances, like death, for example, is trying to um, have some control over what's going to happen in the event of it. Um, Yeah, one of the things that kind of made me really like this poem once I started to pick it apart Mm -hmm. was the things that it's doing with meter. Uh, I think the reason that Wall Stevens' poems make my brain hurt they like sometimes they almost make me like like me nauseous because I can't figure out what the rhythm is supposed to be they're like they're always kind of changing up the meter in a way that's uh it's like you're trying to dance to a song and then suddenly there's a a different time signature and then it's and then it switches back and uh you're you never quite know uh you never quite find your footing in Wall Stevens poems um and that's sometimes really off-putting uh, but in, in this one, when I wrote a paper about this in college, uh, my, my thesis was that uh, the poet's kind of using meter to represent um, like what we were just saying about control, that when the meter is very regular, it's when the speaker is sort of successfully um, controlling the, the emotions of the day, imposing this like this happy uh, view and yeah. when the meter starts to break, that's reality breaking through. It's like this these out of place kind of uh, these these out of place reminders of death or of chaos uh, interrupting. And my professor told me that this was wrong because uh, it's a funeral. How could death be out of place? So take from that what <laughs> what you will. Uh, Crotchety old man. <laughs> she was a uh, sort of a kind of crunchy old lady. Come see, come see. Crunchy like a hippie, you know, like sandals and long hair and uh, and like, oh, 
poetry is it's a force kind of uh, wow. <laughs> spacey lady. Wow. She was cool. Um, like the uh, in the second stanza, um, lacking the three glass knobs that sheet on which she embroidered fantails once and spread it so as to cover her face. So the line and spread it so as to cover her face doesn't doesn't quite flow nicely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, suddenly we get this this couplet. We don't. There's not a ton of rhyme in this poem, uh, but we get these two couplets at the very end. If her horny feet protrude, they come to show how cold she is and dumb, which is so regular. Yeah. And suddenly the words are slotting into this very predictable pattern that uh, we've covered her face. We've gotten that out of view. And now we're going to take this, this image of her feet and force it into a predictable pattern. We're going to force it into our worldview so that they're just about, um, they're not about how death will come for us all or how um, she lived and now she's dead and what kind of person she was. They're just about like, haha, she's dead, we're alive. Uh, and There's then, a little bit of that in this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's awfully it's awfully condescending towards this this poor woman. I actually felt that too. I'm I'm glad you brought it up. And something about the shortness of her shroud, which doesn't cover her legs, is almost as if he um he uh, despises her for not achieving enough, so as to you know like be covered in her achievements. I'm am I reading too much into this? No, no. I think that's definitely there, and uh, something that um. A friend of mine pointed out is that uh, a lot of the imagery in this poem is sort of is uh, it's going for this luxurious uh, this luxurious feeling, but a lot of it is very cheap, like flowers in last month's newspapers. They're not they're not like nice flower arrangements. They're yeah. sort of thrown together, and um, we have to get just some guy to make us ice cream. There, it's not uh, don't have like caterers or something, um, and. Uh, her dresser is lacking three glass knobs. Her sheet is too short. Um, there's, there's like a feeling of lack of like trying to achieve uh, a certain level of, of wealth or like fanciness that's yeah. not happening. And uh, it kind of, I guess, highlights how these indulgences are themselves lacking um, and gives the, the, the whole scene kind of a tawdry feel of, of like and the use of the word wenches maybe not my favorite word to use to describe women uh yeah but calls to mind a sort of sort of I don't know it's a little bit sounds like a, a rich person talking about poor people and their and their amusements and like good good for them that they're able to find some happiness in their drab horrible lives yeah there is a certain now that I've heard your interpretation of this, and I feel like I can get more out of this poem than I uh, was able to by reading um, on my own. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, uh, we are doing this together, which is to see it from your perspective and see the poem infused with the meaning that you have provided. Um, one thing um, that stood out to me is that though there is denial of that, there is also uh, uh, a certain um, skepticism towards life as well. You know, like, you know, um, the thing you pointed out about the old newspapers and how he perceives 
men and women coming together as companions and like it's a little weird um <laughs> Paul Stevens was uh was an insurance man so I I guess it makes sense that he wrote a poem about that that would be it would be weird if he didn't so given that we are so clearly on topic of death do you do you think often about your mortality yeah yeah pretty constantly uh i i was talking to a couple of friends recently and and they said uh like i i just really can't get my mind around the fact that i personally will die i don't really think that i will die and i felt like i'm the exact opposite i feel like only i will die uh i feel like the possibility of my own death is very present and uh like every time I fly on a plane, I kind of take take a minute to to think like, well, I've led a good life, and <laughs> try to make peace with that, uh, and that's weird of me. I am the complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I never think about death, but I still have to do the plane ritual, <laughs> which I think is a nice check in with yourself as to you know how you're doing. Um, to roll back to the poet who actually wrote this, um, so Vala Stevens, as you know, was very reverent in his time. Um, he won every literary honor I can think of. He won the National Book Award. He won the Pulitzer for the collected poems of Vala Stevens. Um, he was also really criticized for something that um, I can <laughs> completely understand where that criticism comes from just by reading this one poem very presumptuous of me but I'm gonna um but I'm gonna join in that criticism which is that um his poetry um had this sense of obscurity abstraction and you know self-contained art for art's sake tenor and this is me literally quoting poetry.org right now to you um I felt a little bit of that uh, reading this and um where do you stand on how much abstraction in a poetry is needed? Or is there, is, is there room for... Um, how do you feel about abstraction in poetry? Do you like your poems to be direct to you? Or do you want them to be, you know, hurts my brain? <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to make a pronouncement about a way that poems should or shouldn't be I feel like the amazing thing about about poetry is that it can be anything yeah. uh, it can be uh, completely mundane or it can be just uh, completely off in space you know just punctuation marks on a page in the shape of a chicken or something it can be it can be anything uh, and uh, as for like what I personally would want to read um, I can't just sit down and read like a book of Wallace Stevens poems. Uh, I grew to, to love this poem because it was forced upon me several times. Uh, I, I can't just pick up a collection and, and peruse some Wallace Stevens because my brain will start to hurt. It'll just yeah. it'll start to go over my head. Uh, it, it like he really, I think requires that kind of investment. Um, and I think it's totally okay to, not put in that investment if that's not your thing. Um, when I read poetry in my daily life, uh, which is pretty rare, I 
prefer, I guess, um, a more concrete, uh, more concrete style. Um, another one of my favorite poets is Frank O'Hara, mm-hmm. and he writes a lot of poems about walking around New York eating a hamburger. Um, it's um, very relatable. Uh, quite the contrast. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, you know, I'm more of a fiction person than a poetry person. Uh, I tend to like poems that are closer to a short story or a, a bit of memoir. Um, they, they, like, stick in my mind a little bit better. Um, and that's probably, like, some kind of laziness. It's that those are the ones that are easy to digest on first reading, whereas this this one and Wall Stevens' other poems, they, they, like... There are so many parts that don't make sense, don't make, like, literal sense, that it's yeah. easy to just skip over them and think, and think, like, well, that was just nonsense. And you have to kind of uh, take those parts that don't make sense and drill into them and figure out uh, why is this here why is this word that doesn't seem to mean anything like what the what the rest of the poem is about? Why is this word here? What does it mean here? Um, and that's kind of frustrating sometimes. Uh, but it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of cool of Wallace Stevens to, to do that, to like expect that from people. Yeah, I think he definitely places an onus upon the reader to actually pull apart his poems and find their own meaning. I mean... Some of those sentences over there, um, let the lamp fix its beam. Yes, that one. And and there was a repetition of B um, in... Uh, let B be finale of seam. Oh, thank you for completing my <laughs> sentences. Do you remember when uh, we we were in the office and I was telling you about this poem? Yeah. Um, and I showed it to John and he said, like, let B be finale of seam. That's nonsense. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> that's that's. That's quite John. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I, I kind of feel like that part is is one of the more direct parts of the poem. It's about it's about you know forget about deep meaning. Let's embrace surface level. Let's let's embrace things that are shiny and that make us feel good and leave aside any concept of like deep meaning. Uh, but yeah, but it is um, it's a weird thing to say. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> Who do you think he's writing for when he's writing these words? Interesting. Well, I'm, another thing is that I don't really feel like he means these words exactly. Um, I feel like the, I don't feel like Wallace Stevens agrees with the speaker of this poem. Uh, I feel like he's kind of criticizing both the people in the poem and to some extent the speaker. Or maybe it's just sort of a sarcastic speaker that's like, okay, fine, let B be the finale of seam. Have fun. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, I think he's talking to all of us simples. Huh. That puts me in my place. All of us regular folks (laughs) just trying to get through the day. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the topic of poetry in daily life is, uh, interesting to me and a, a shout out to MTA. Um, who have the Poetry in Motion series in the subway, and I occasionally find myself gazing in no direction in particular, and then I find myself all of a sudden reading a poem about men building the subway, and that's really cool. And there's a poem about you. There is a poem about me. I'm (laughs) very upset about it. (laughs) It is not about me. It is about the biblical Eve, of course. But uh, that poem makes me so angry. Why? Because it... I feel like it takes away all the like agency from Eve. 
It's about, uh, it's that she's, um, what is it? It's like she's naming the animals and like wishes that she could tell them to name her. Uh, like she couldn't find a name for herself. Yeah, like, oh, I just want other people to tell me who I am because I'm just a woman. And, uh, oh, that part is sad. <laughs> and like, Biblical Eve already gets such a bad rap uh, for, you know, causing the fall of mankind, being the reason that there's... For feeding herself! For for eating a probably very delicious and nutritious piece of fruit. Um, for doubting a, a man in authority who told her what she could and couldn't do. And, and we're getting pretty far afield here. <laughs> uh, just to cap the conversation, I like, e- I like that Eve the rebel... And I, I, I've had a great time having this conversation with you. Um, what are you reading these days? Poetry, prose, doesn't matter. Okay, so uh, poetry-wise, what am I reading? I, I kind of went on a journey trying to find a poem for this podcast and revisited some, some of my favorites, so that was pretty fun. Um, I, I think uh, I, I described to you uh, the poem Maple by Robert Frost. That's one of my mm-hmm. favorites from when I was a kid. Um, too long to read aloud on the podcast. <laughs> uh, more like a short story, um, but but very beautiful. Um, and I dipped into some Frank O'Hara, always a pleasure. Um, I You know, there's a lot of good poetry on the internet. Do you know about this, this thing, the internet? D- uh, 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 I mean, vaguely. <laughs> um, the, the All... A-W-L, uh, dot com has a great poetry section. Um, I'm a fan of like uh, your your um, oh gosh I'm blanking on her name now Patricia Lockhart. Okay. Um, Melissa Broder, aka okay. So Sad Today. Um, oh, I love I love that Twitter account, <laughs> and I love the internet. Um, yeah, all the good poets are on Twitter these days. Um, I'm also reading I'm reading some uh, some like epic fantasy for the first time in a long time. I'm reading Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson. Very, very hard-hitting <laughs> stuff. Um, and uh, also started uh, this book called Homegoing, which is about, uh, so far it is about the like slave trade in Africa. So it's like some of the most brutal, upsetting like fiction that I've ever read. It's like, it's, I haven't gotten very far because it's the most upsetting things that could possibly happen to a person just happening. Um, so I'm not sure if I recommend that one. You talked earlier about uh, breaking your head over this poem. <laughs> and now you're talking about breaking your heart over the book uh, Homegoing. Um, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pleasure, I think, in a way sometimes to um, try to in a way inhabit these situations and like think of these hypothetical situations like death which are very real which can also be very real or um go back and i don't know what i'm doing here like revisit the great crimes of history uh you know what like I, i think a lot about like how difficult should reading really be? I think some people get really, yes, really up and up in their on their high horse about like, oh, I only read really difficult things. If you understand it, then that's that's bad. That's like that's lowbrow. Um, and I'm sure that there's just as much that you can pull out of a Frank O'Hara poem as from a Wall Stevens poem. Um, it's just that Frank O'Hara also rewards you on a more service level 
whereas Wallace Stevens kind of kind of punishes you on a surface level. Not that like those those are just different approaches. Yeah, I feel like um, there's there's definitely a little bit of playing hard to get with Wallace Stevens versus uh, and 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 uh, clearly human beings achieve uh, sorry uh, attribute. Uh, importance to things which are hard we don't think of work as work unless it is hard you know like that that, that kind of that kind of um, philosophy in play um and it, it it brings us back to like poetry and how accessible it is and uh how much poetry is actually being read and um I don't know, I guess nobody should have to write things that they wouldn't write otherwise just because they want to be read. I guess it's a, it's a, it's, it's a choice and uh, the author in, in, in consideration here has definitely made his choice of being very, uh, very much a, a, um, a poet's poet, I would say. Um, but I feel a little bit of pain there because um, I, I wish, you know, uh, more people read him and maybe uh, I, I wish you wrote for a wider audience. Um, I don't know. Those are just my feelings. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I guess, uh, it's interesting that he is such a, a difficult poet, and yet he's, like, been extraordinarily successful, won every award, like you said. Um, I heard a, a legend that once he, he um, got in a fight with Ernest Hemingway in Key West... <laughs> Did he win? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I would have thought so. Yeah, I think he kind of cheated. Uh, I feel like, like uh, one of them insulted the other, and uh, so they were going to fight. And I think Paul Stevens is a lot older than Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's going to be so embarrassing when all of the facts of the story turn out to be wrong. Um, it's, an in- it's, it's an interesting story, nevertheless. <laughs> um, and someone, someone, there's a crowd gathering to watch the two, the two writers fight, and someone's like, Ernest, take off your glasses. Uh, and so he starts to take off his glasses, and while he's taking them off, while Steven just clocks him, uh, like before the formal start of the fight, which was uncool. Uh, but, then, but then Hemingway, I think, <laughs> I think Hemingway beat him up. Maybe fact check that one before including it in the <laughs> podcast. I don't know. That's part of my image of Wall Stevens that he's this like, um, kind of prickly old dude like, in uh, sitting in his meetings at his boring insurance job, composing poems in his head and like fighting writers that he thinks are are lesser than him. Are we cooler than him? I'm not a fan of Hemingway. Okay, okay. Um, I will keep my feelings about Hemingway to myself, <laughs> which are very complicated by the way. Mm. Um, thank you, Eve, so much for uh, coming on the podcast. Uh, to sit across from you and like to discover these all these new things about you, even though we have known each other for quite some time, is fascinating. And I feel like poetry as a vehicle for doing that is also really fascinating. Uh, um, it's hard to have some of these conversations like, why would you sit together and talk about death and ice cream? And <laughs> Why would you do anything else? Well, <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Uh, can't wait to hear future episodes. Great. Who would who who would you want to be on the podcast? Um, I don't know you. <laughs> Did I tell you I have a framed poem on my desk? 
we can talk about it sometime later. We should leave something for, you know. That'll be like, uh, you know, the, the season finale oh, yeah. of the podcast. Oh, yeah, totally. That's the season finale. Cool. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you thought of this episode on Twitter. We are Who Reads Poetry. If you have recommendations on who we should have next on the podcast, or better still, you want to be on the podcast, please tweet at us. Again, our handle is Who Reads Poetry. This podcast would not be possible without Brian Kelly, who very graciously gave it music. Thanks, Brian. You can find Brian at Spilt on Twitter. That is S-P-I-L-T-H. Ask Brian for the story behind the handle. You can find links to the poems and people we talked about in the show notes. We will love to hear from you. Until next time, bye-bye.